Amen. Well, I love you guys. I'm so grateful to be here with you. And I pray for you and just have been praying that God would just activate your hearts this morning to be more like him, to believe who you are in him and never be the same. And I keep thinking about that that phrase, uh, that experience changed my life, or I'll never be the same, or I'm going to change the world. You know, these big, huge things that we say in response to things that impact us or that we long for. And then I, like, I just keep thinking that every moment in our life changes us forever. You know what I mean? Like, because we're always changing and being more like Him. And so we're either changing a little or we're changing a lot. So I'm hoping that this morning all of us change a lot to become more like Jesus. And um, one of the things that first came to my mind when I was thinking about this Behold Him song and just the Sermon on the Mount in general and why Jesus came and spoke to us. And I just think about our relationship with our, with our Father, God the Father in heaven, and that, that He misses us. He missed, he, he saw what happened with Adam and Eve and it broke his heart. He wanted and wants union and unity together with us, his created ones that were created in his image. He wants unity with us. And if anybody has ever experienced the feeling inside of missing someone, which I'm pretty sure everybody, raise your hand. I mean, everyone's missed someone in their life maybe for a moment or maybe a tragic loss has made you have to walk through missing someone desperately that you'll never see again. And I think that that emotion and that feeling is, it represents what all of eternity would be like without Jesus. We would forever miss our father and it would be horrible. And he didn't want that for us. And so he chose to take Jesus Christ, his one and only son, and send him to this earth to be born of a virgin, to walk and experience every single temptation you have ever experienced, every weakness that a human has, he had, and he never one time chose sin. Never one time, not in his actions or in his attitude or in his thoughts, he never did. He was perfect. Jesus was perfect, and he, and so in, and then, and so then he lived this perfect life, and he, he had friends that he walked with, like he had relationships, he enjoyed people, he laughed, he ate, he slept, he got sleepy, and then he would wake up and be filled with more energy, just like us, and he had his friends, and they would walk around, and he did these great miracles. What are some of the miracles Jesus did, the first ones that come to your mind? He turned the water and wine. He raised the dead. He multiplied the fish. He walked on water. He had 12 friends. He had 12 friends. That's a miracle. <laughs> he, yes, he did all of those things. He did all of those things and more. Jesus did miracles, okay? And his friends trusted him. And then he... And then, and then he was crucified. And so what he did is, is if every single person could be standing up on this stage one by one, and there was like this list of every single sinful thing you've ever done, and all of us could see it. Every thought you've thought, every time when you were little you hit your brother, or every big thing you've ever done, and then all of the terrible things that were ever done to you were written down. All the pain you've experienced, the sickness, the, the loss, the sin that was done to you. All of it was written for us to see. And then Jesus stood in front of you and he said, don't pay, they're never gonna pay for it. 
It's don't make them pay and don't make them, I will take it for them. I will take all of that upon myself. And he did. And that's what he did when he died on the cross. He said, they're not gonna get what they deserve. I will cover over this pain. I will cover over this hurt and longing and sickness and all of it and crucify me. I will die, the perfect lamb that, that he took away all of the sins of the world in one death with his perfect blood that was shed for us. And then death, it, it couldn't hold him. When he died, he came raising up out of the grave and defeated death itself. The thing all of us are scared of, the thing that we all hate, that don't want to come, don't want to think about. And he said, you don't have to worry about death. I overcame it. In Christ, there is no death. In Christ, we live for eternity, never missing our Father forevermore. We're united with Him forever in Jesus, okay? And so with his friends, he was walking and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in this place, there are many rooms. And they're, they're, I'm go it's going to be wonderful. And you're going you're gonna to know the way. And what does disciples say? We don't know the way. You know, and I always laugh when I'm telling the kids, I'm like, they're like, is it north, like towards Dallas? Is it south to college? We don't know the way, Jesus. Where are we going? What is the way? And what did he say? Anybody know? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, I am the perfect. I'm the exact representation of the Father. So if you've seen me, guys, Jesus is saying to his friends, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. But then he said, it's actually even better that I go. And they're like sad. They're like, I'm going to miss you. Don't leave us here, you know? And he said, it's better that I go. And why did he say that? He said, because I'm giving them what? What did he give them? The Holy Spirit. He said, it's better that I go because I'm giving the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, although he did really cool things like escape out of a crowd that was trying to to get him and, you know, things like that, you know, it'd be kind of hard for us to do, you know. He was still bound by space and time. He was there at the wedding and it, meaning that he was there at the wedding meant that he wasn't like in his house, you know, because he was a human. But the Holy Spirit is not bound that way. He is within each and every one of our hearts. And that passage of scripture, it goes on in John 14, all of this that I'm sharing is in John 14. And it goes on and he talks about how the Holy Spirit is our peace. He's our advocate. He brings things to our mind that we forget. He uh, convicts us. And I mean, I'm just so grateful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It keeps us safe. It helps us be more like Jesus every single day. And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He's taken over the world. He's taken over the whole world. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Take heart. He's overcome the world. He overcame it in death, and he came raising up out of life. And so with this Holy Spirit inside of us, Jesus, he, he did all of that to obtain for us the opportunity in Jesus. Like if he's, he's the vine and I'm the branch, like in Jesus, I possess lots of things. In him, I possess righteousness, holiness. I am an heir to the kingdom of heaven. I am the son or a daughter. And so when they talk about the kingdom of heaven and all that is, I possess that in Jesus. We all do. Any single person here, we, that is our possession, our inheritance, what belongs to us, okay? 
And so I want you all to keep all that in mind as we step into the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So Matthew 6, 1 through 4, we're just going to read this one part of it. And it says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay, and so this is basically saying, don't be prideful. Don't be, you know, that annoying kid that knows everything and tries to make everybody look at you instead of others, you know? Nobody likes that kid. We don't want to be him or her. We want to be humble and like Jesus, you know? And so one of the things that stood out to me very first in in, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, as it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. Okay, so the two words that stuck out to me were practice and yours, okay? And so we know the Bible says that our righteousness, our righteous acts are like filthy rags to the Lord. There's no life in them. They're, we in and of ourselves are not holy. There's not one man that has ever been holy but Jesus. So we know that righteousness within us only comes from God himself. Like there is no good in us apart from Jesus. But in Christ, we possess righteousness because of the Holy Spirit. And so it's ours. So that word, your righteousness, I possess that. Okay. But then it tells me that I have to practice it. Well, it says not to practice it in this wrong way, which then infers that like we can practice our righteousness. And so I looked into the word practice and like the different like origins of that word from the Bible. And the, the transliteration for it is this Greek word poieo, poieo. Um, and it, the definition for that word practice is to make or to do. And then a few other ways to like, uh, definitions that would support that would be to make ready or to prepare to produce, bear, or shoot forth, or to make a thing out of something. And so when I think about practice with all of, like, we're making something, preparing something as we practice. We are preparing, practicing, shooting forth, bearing up our righteousness. We have the opportunity to do that. And that makes me feel excited. I want to do that. I want to practice my righteousness that God gave me. And so it makes me think, so who in here has fingers? You know, and then who in here might possess a piano or some kind of a musical instrument in their home or in their life, okay? And so if you have the possession of your fingers or a musical instrument, you possess those. But what do you have to do with them to be good at it? You have to practice, right? And so we have to practice our righteousness. Just because we possess it doesn't mean that we automatically act righteous, you know? And so we have to practice all the time. And I remember when I was in college, I was learning about this and You know, because things get wonky when we think that our righteousness comes from ourselves or that our holiness comes from our acts of righteousness. That gets everything messed up, right? Real fast. And so I remember trying to practice, but for me, I kind of liked people's attention. And so I remembered that this point that like my actions didn't make me holy 
was a hard one to drive in for me, you know? And so what the Holy Spirit led me to do as I was asking him how to practice my righteousness was almost always in secret ways. Like, I just, he just knew if I was like, as a little college student out there in a way that people could see that it would just like be weird for me. And so I was just silently uh, serving people where no one could see. I would every morning be like, what can I do to be a blessing around my life today? And it was usually always the answer was something secret, a secret way to love or serve or to get up underneath someone else and serve whatever it was that God had called them to do. And it was a beautiful season of my life. I call it the faceless and nameless season of my life, where I was like, I just would, don't want people to ever look at me and remember my name. They'd be like, oh, that girl that loves Jesus a lot. I can't remember her name, but, you know, and so that, or like, you know, when people say, oh, are you Gwyneth's mom? Are you, and I'm like, yes, you know? Like, I, I don't want you to know my name. I want you to know me by who I love, you know? And so I was in the theater department at Baylor University. (laughs) Nobody! There's one! Okay, there's one! Oh, two! Okay, and so anyway, I was there. And, like, Baylor's this Baptist school, especially back in, like, 2002. It was still, like, known by reputation as, like, a pretty clean-cut religious organization. You know, like, it wasn't, like, crazy wild things were happening at Baylor, except for in the theater department. And then every lost soul that was needing to... So there, whatever, um, was like there at the theater department, okay? And so I was like a light in a very dark place, and learning how to do that was a challenge for me. And I remember I would pray in the, um, the theater, like in the rows when no one was in there, and I would sweep when no one asked me to, and I would go clean the green room, um, and I would just leave notes for people that were anonymous, just telling them that they were beautiful, and they would make fun of me. The people in the theater department were not very nice to me, okay? And so I remember loving this one person, like, over and over and over again, just encouraging her and her, like, making fun of me to my face. And she was, like, a tall, beautiful woman and had a lot of influence with the other people. And so she was sort of like, and not that I was, like, I don't know what you would call it, but I was definitely not treated nicely by her or her friends. And so I remember one Sunday morning, it was like 6.30 in the morning, and there was a knock on my door. And it was her. Her name was Julia. And I opened the door, and she had been, like, out partying all night, like, woke up at another man's home that she, like, didn't even know who he was, had been with him that night, and, like, walked from his home to my, like, house there at Baylor and was like, I need Jesus. I'm desperate, you know? And she had never said a kind word to me ever, but I had practiced my righteousness with her over and over and over and over again. Loved her like Jesus, and when she had nowhere else to turn, she came to me, you know, because she had seen something within me that looked like Jesus, okay? And so, all right, well, when I, what I also say to my kids is whenever you're learning something new, you have to repeat it, and then you have to teach it, okay? So I'm going to teach you like I would my students or if I was talking to a group of kids. So I'm going to do this. Mirrors on. Okay, so everybody go like this and say mirrors on. Okay, so repeat after me. In Christ Jesus, In Christ through, the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I possess righteousness. I am righteous. I get the chance to practice my righteousness every day. Okay, mirrors off. Teach. Okay, so turn to a neighbor and tell them what you just learned. Whatever that might be. You have about one minute.
Good job, you guys. Way to go. And so when you learn something and then you repeat it and then you teach it, it helps you understand it, that you now, you now know that deep inside of you. And so when I think about this practicing of our righteousness, the opportunity to do that is literally endless. So for me there at the theater department, it was just loving the next person in front of me, writing little notes. It could be like buying a cup of coffee for the person behind you in line. It could be um, going together us as a family. We would on Christmas just find someone in the city to give a present to. It could, and training your children in it, you know, and never borrow someone's car unless you leave it washed and filled up, you know, or just little things that you do that help practice and steward this, this righteous living within you. And then every time you serve, every time you love the next person in the little ways and in the big ways, it changes you. It helps you become more like Jesus and, and, and always remembering that that the holiness that you possess inside of you, it comes because of the perfect lamb that stood in front of your list and said, not them, Lord, I will take it, you know? And not because you did this or that. Do you understand? Because that's where it gets really wonky. And when you think that that being like kind or loving or, or giving all of your money away or wasting your life on the mission field will make you holy, it's really confused. It actually, you're stepping into a place that only God can stand. Do you know? Only God can make us holy. And so if we believe that doing something radical will make us holy, then if you trace that all the way back, it's ultimately like believing you have the same power that only God has. You know? And that's a dangerous place. No human can stand there. And then it leaves your life disappointed, bitter usually, angry, judgmental, all of these terrible things that nobody wants. And so if we just always go back to that place of the cross, Calvary, risen from the grave, I am nothing without him, that puts everything else where it should be, okay? All right, so another thing that I like to think about with this in mind of just is this concept of chivalry. And I I just wanted to share it with you. It's something that's been mulling around in my heart. I might have already shared or talked to you about it before, but it just is another driving point for this whole deal. And so when you think about um, what a knight or a lady, but we'll just kind of focus on a knight, if you know, think about like a literal knight of the round table. Okay, what did he, what does a classic knight always possess? What does he have? A sword? Armor. What is it? A horse. Okay. What else does he have? What? A shield. Yes, he has all this armor and he has his horse, but then he also usually has a mission. He also usually knows what he's about. You know, he's, I'm here to serve the king. I'm going to be um, saving the day or whatever, you know? And so when he comes up against something scary, he has courage because he has what he needs. And he knows what he's about, you know? And so for us as, as knights and ladies in the kingdom of heaven, we need to know what we possess because we have all that we need to walk up against any scary thing. And we need to know how to use it. And we need to know what we're about. What are we, what are we doing here? What are we all about? And so I would just submit to you that every knight or lady, we need a vision. Okay, Where's, where are we going? We need a code of conduct. How do we act? Okay? And we need a cause, a transcendent cause, a thing that like, is, the, is the reason why we do everything 
that we do. Okay, and so I submit to you that Jesus is our vision and that heaven is our home. And that when we look at him, like we always talk about, and we remember that we're living for eternity, that it, it anchors everything else that we do. It gives us purpose in every single thing that we do. And I would submit that our code of conduct, like how we act, is holiness. And so we don't have, I mean, we had, we had back in the day, you know, the, the Ten Commandments. These are these things that you shall not do. And those are good. The law was good because it helped people's hearts tether to God consistently. But then Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. And he brought the bar so much higher than anything that we ever saw in the Old Testament. He said, as we know, but just to remind you, he said that like, if you have anger in your heart, that it's the same as murder. And so it was just very, very real that he was setting a bar that was impossible for any human to like, obtain without, without the blood of Jesus, okay? And so he said, be holy as I am holy. And so it's not about what we should or shouldn't do. It's about who we are in Christ. That's our code of conduct. And then that guides and directs like our choices, what, how we act and what we do. And then we need a transcendent cause. The cause of our life is love. And then through the Great Commission, it's like our mission is the Great Commission. We know what we're doing here. We are loving others and, and on a mission to see every nation, tribe, and tongue hear the good news of Jesus, okay? And so our vision is Jesus, our code of conduct is holiness, and our transcendent cause is love through the Great Commission. And these permeate every single thing that we do. And so a knight or lady in the kingdom loves well, lives pure, speaks true, writes wrong, and follows the king. Okay? So that is what we do. And it talks a little bit about this in 1 Peter 2. I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 15, it says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. So this is just, a, I think, helps summarize that whole idea of chivalry in the Bible. And then also um, in 2 Timothy 2, um, it says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive a victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. For God's word is not chained or bound. And so I just love, I just wanted to read them to you because I also love in verse seven where it says, reflect on what I am saying for the Lord will give you insight to all this. I really encourage you to do that. Like even just this week, go back and read that verse and just reflect on what it's saying. Um, I think it would really encourage you. And so deep down inside of our hearts, we know what we possess and what we're all about. And that 
gives, and we know that all of that comes because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So that gives us courage and it gives us love and gen- a generous heart because when we know all that, that we possess in Christ Jesus and that we have eternity coming for us, it helps the things of this world grow strangely dim. It helps the things of this world that feel really big in the moment feel a little smaller. And it puts things in perspective. It gives us maturity and wisdom when we order our life this way. And so then I'm gonna, I want to also look at Matthew 6, 19 through 24. So when we're looking at treasures in heaven and we're looking at the rest of what te- Jesus is teaching to us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's giving us another set of like really clear instructions. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. Um, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be filled with light, or full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light is in you, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So this is just another set of, uh, like I said before, another set of, of encouragements, like if you want to call them rules or just advice from Jesus, don't do these things because then this is what will happen. And... I think that when you, well, I thought of several different ways as I was going, here's what I want to talk to them about, how to frame it or what to do. And it just kept going all the way back to that very first verse that says, practice your righteousness and believe and knowing who we are and what we're about. And when we, as his believers, know what we possess in Christ Jesus and walk around loving and serving and practicing those things. Every time we meet Julia, my friend, who ended up showing back up at my house, even when her response was not kindness back to me, it developed something inside of me, okay? And so even if she had never showed back up at my house, something in me would have been changed to be more like Jesus. Every single time you choose to make your bed with excellence or serve your roommate or write a thank you note or call your grandma or the little things that you do in your life that are, it changes you. If you do it unto the Lord, every single thing you do has purpose in Christ, everything. And it helps us become more like him. And then the more that we devote our worship to the Lord and practice that righteousness, the clearer he is and the more confident we are in who we are in him. And so that leaves us in this place where if we were sitting on that mount listening to Jesus say, don't store up yourselves. We're not going, don't store up my treasures and don't let bad things into my eyes. And I can't serve two masters. We go, why would we even want to? Why would we even be bothered with that? We have him and he has everything. Why would I ever want one tiny thing that would dim my ability to see him? Why would I ever even want it to come inside of my heart? I don't want the foolishness of this world. I have him. I have it already. And so the, I, want, I don't want to 
to talk to you all day about not, not doing the bad things. I just want you to focus on him and then you won't want to, you know? And so I, and y'all, he's so generous. Like he's so good. He's so happy. He wants to give you good things. And I was privileged to grow up with, a, with I mean, generational like heritage of people in my life that had learned this and showed it to me. And that makes a difference in my ability to believe it. You know, there are some of you that are first, the first people in your whole family that ever trusted Jesus and didn't grow up with a generous father or a father at all, you know, and that's hard. It's hard when your earthly representations of love and family don't, didn't show you these things, you know? And so I just want to acknowledge that it's hard to believe when you haven't seen people act the way that God is. And I'm just sorry. I feel like there's room today for you to begin or continue the process of giving him that pain and saying, I know this isn't how, who you are. Show yourself to me as you really are, you know? And he will always be faithful to do that. And so I just wanted to acknowledge that it is hard if you didn't see it with your own eyes. And the people that were, you were supposed to trust weren't, weren't, like not only weren't they generous and loving towards you, but they were hurtful to you, you know? And so that is definitely really painful and hard, but it is not impossible for you to know the truth about, about the Lord. And he is running after you and wants to show you every single minute of every single day his love. And I remember a, a few stories that, that kind of helped me understand even better. There's this story, a fable, I don't know if it's true, about Alexander the Great. And he was going along the way. And this beggar came up to him and was like begging for money or food or whatever. And he, Alexander the Great gave the beggar a gold coin. And the servant of Alexander said, why would you have given the beggar a gold coin when copper would have served his need completely? And Alexander the Great said that copper would have served the need of the beggar, but that gold was the fitted gift of a king. And so Alexander gave a gift that was fitting for a king to give, regardless of who it was that was receiving it, you know? And it's just that mindset of we give out of what we possess, okay? And so we are like him. We have the whole kingdom of heaven at hand inside of us because of the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus. And it also makes me think of my grandpa who taught me generosity in so many ways. He went to be with Jesus when my son Graham was uh, just three months old. And so one of the stories, I wasn't there, but they tell it all the time. They told it at his funeral. And they were at this like um, diner kind of uh, candy shop place. And all the grandkids were sitting there, or all the kids, I guess my mom was like a young kid. So all of his kids and her cousins were sitting there and they were going to go get a bottle of pop. And they usually, you know, these big bottles that are like this tall of glass soda pop. And so normally they would get one and then pour it into little cups for all of the kids. And my poppy took them that day and he bought one huge soda pop for every single one of the kids. And their eyes were just so big, like, oh my gosh, like, what are we getting, you know? And he set, he set one down and, and he went and they were like, surely he's just going to give them to us so we can drink them later. And he went and he popped every single one of them open and their eyes were just so big. And then he put one down extra for a kid that wasn't there. And then he opened that one too. And he was like, do you think that's enough? 
And that was just his heart of generosity. And it marked each one of them. They all told the story, the cousins and my mom that were there because he was willing to give them more than they even needed. And that is the heart of our Father. It is the heart of our Father in heaven, that he is generous beyond what we would ever ask or imagine or think and wants to give good gifts to his children. That we being evil know how to give good good gifts to our children, how much more does our Father in heaven want to give us good gifts? And then the last story that I wanted to share is at my poppy's funeral. My son Graham was only three months old and I remember I was sitting in the car after the the graveside service and I was sad, I loved him and I um, was brokenhearted and I was feeding my son Graham and tired, I had a three month old baby. And my, the, the, the nephew of my grandpa, so my mom's first cousin, um, is close to me, kind of like an uncle. And he was walking from the gravesite back over to the parking lot. And I had forgotten to get like a rose off of my poppy's casket. I really just wanted to have one to keep. And so I said, Gary, will you go and get a rose off of poppy's casket? I just want to have it to tuck in my Bible just to keep. And I like was finishing feeding my son and I looked up and he had gotten the whole spray of roses and was carrying it across the thing and, and set it down right there by the car. And he was like, do you think that'll be enough? And he was one of the kids that was sitting there when Poppy opened the soda pop. He, it, it imprinted upon him that you give more, you know, and that is who our God is. It's who he is. He wants to give you more than you need. And so I want you to stand up and I w- I'll give you just a couple verses out of, the, out of the Bible that share about his blessing. I'm not going to read them all. Deuteronomy 28, Malachi 3 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Um, And he, all of these blessings from the Lord, though, they go hand in hand with our obedience to him. You know, it's not, we obey you. If you love me, you'll obey me, the Lord says. And so all of these blessings are hand in hand with the, his, with our obedience to him. And so it says, you will be a blessed city and a blessed in this country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock and the calves of your herd and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading through will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Um, the Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. The Lord will open the heavens the storehouse of his bounty, and send rain on your land and bless and season and bless the work of your hands. So I just thank you, Lord. I do ask for every heart in this room that has experienced pain in this life uh, from their own earthly fathers and have and just need healing. I pray for space this morning for healing, and I ask God that you would encourage us to ask you and to stand with you and to uh, remember all that we possess in you. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I could have some of our um, prayer team come on up for those that want to be prayed for. Amen.